Uh, today we're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 5, a uh, message, uh, the third part of what I call the fruit of the Spirit, and the last part, or, or learning to walk again, rather, the last part of that, and today calling the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Learning to walk again. Remember that uh, Paul told these people in verse 7, You did run well. Who did hinder you, hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You see, there was a time when the Galatians were running well. Uh, they were doing well. They were growing in their spiritual life. They were making progress. Uh, their faith was moving along and moving along very well. So much that Paul could say, you're running. You're running. Then they were hindered. And they were hindered by teachers of false doctrine who came along and tried to put them back under the law of Moses. And as we've seen, uh, Paul demonstrates so very well uh, that since the Spirit of God had moved on to the new covenant, the old covenant, uh, which was the law covenant, if they went back to the law, then all they would get was the power of the flesh because the Spirit of God wasn't working there. God wasn't going to help them. All they had then was the power of the flesh to go back to. And so he has spent a lot of time talking about how difficult it was uh, for them to put themselves back under that situation, how uh, they would be uh, hindered, as we see in this passage, uh, even snared, he talked about. Uh, so this is a, a very difficult thing uh, that we've been looking at for a while because it brings to bear that situation in our life because even yet still today we are tempted, maybe not so much with the law of Moses, but we're tempted to try to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. And so it's become my responsibility as we've gone through the book of Galatians to remind you that our, our flesh is no better than it ever was. Our flesh didn't get saved when, when we got saved. It's not like it's all of a sudden been transformed. It's not. One day it will be. This robe of flesh is going to drop and real seize the everlasting prize. Uh, one day we will be changed, transformed, and made like unto Jesus and his glorious body. But that day is not now. And the flesh was never able to produce the righteousness of God. And it still isn't. It still isn't. Since they'd been hindered. Since they'd fallen. Since they had stumbled in their faith. It was their responsibility now to get back on their feet. That's the first step. When you've fallen you have to get solid. Make sure that you're able to stand. And then you can take a step or two. Before long, you might be walking across the room. And then one day they might be able to go back and run again. But they had to stand. They had to learn to walk. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We saw how vital last week that the armor of God is in this whole process because the armor of God keeps uh, uh, the enemy that is above us, the principalities and powers, the enemy that is around us uh, with the world and the world system, it keeps that out. And then it keeps the enemy within, which is the flesh that's inside the armor, it keeps it in where it belongs, where it needs to be. doesn't unleash it on the world. Uh, so it keeps the enemy above and the enemy around us out. Keeps the enemy within the flesh on the inside. But now we move to the 
fruit of the Spirit. But before we do, I want to read again that long, agonizing list of what the flesh does. When you turn to the flesh, you get what the flesh does. What is it? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We immediately recognize then that Paul uh, puts the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh within the concept of that person who's not saved. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we're not going to soft pedal Paul's message because he says it very plainly. If your life is constantly producing this, if this is the kind of life that you're living, if you look at yourself and this is what you see and you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, then you're probably not saved. James said the same thing. It's a very powerful, powerful message. Now, as we look then at this list, we'd have to admit that some of those things, though, do appear in the lives of saved people. Uh, do saved people sometimes commit adultery? Uh, yes. Do they commit sexual immorality of all kinds? Just, yeah, yeah. Can saved people be immodest? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can saved people get in a lot of strife and division and angry outbursts? Uh, yeah, we see that in business meetings sometimes. Jealousy? Yeah, that, I've seen that, yeah. Rage, disagreements, drunkenness, partying. Yeah. They all show up occasionally in Christian lives and yes, sometimes even within churches. But you see, it's, it's not that occasional thing. And the fact is, if we look down through this list, you'd look at that and say, you know, I, I don't have any... That doesn't, I, I don't do these, these things. But if you look through that list and think about it, we're really honest with ourselves. There's some area in that list that calls your number. Just like there's some that call mine. There are areas in this where we struggle. Even if it's only that outburst of wrath, guess what? That made the list. If we looked in some of the others, we'd find out that uh, bearing false witness, that's uh, talking bad about people and gossiping about people. That made the list too. And so while some of these things we might not struggle with, all of us struggle with some of them. But it's not the things that we struggle with that really characterize us as believers. We're all going to struggle. I mean, if you're struggling with some of these things, and you look at this and you say, well, I see the fruit of the Spirit, and, and you know, some days I do pretty well with that. I see a lot of that, but then some days I, I see the work of the flesh. Does that mean I'm not saved? Uh, no, it means you are saved. You're still struggling 
but the flesh. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 26 and 41, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm not going to preach that message again today. I preached it last week, but just remember, the flesh is weak. We're certainly familiar with that. I, I ran across a humorous discussion of that that talked about how the flesh is as we get older. It said maybe it's true that life begins at 50, but everything else starts to wear out, fall out, or spread out. Amen? I know. <laughs> Middle age is when work is a lot less fun, and fun is a lot more work. Boy, is that the truth. Getting older means it takes longer to rest than it does to get tired. Yes, I live that out all the time. But this is the reason I brought it up, this last one. And I wish it was true. It said, don't worry about avoiding temptation. As you grow older, temptation will avoid you. I wish that was true. Hmm. The fact is, as you get older, the battle with the flesh intensifies. It intensifies. You may not struggle as much in some areas as you did when you were young, but some of the other struggles suddenly come up and get worse. Abraham had his biggest test of faith at the end. Job had his biggest test of faith at the end. And you and I will have our biggest test of faith at the end. So we get older. Temptation then to rely on our experience, to rely on our accumulated uh, years of knowledge, to rely on ourselves is, is ever present with us. The works of the flesh. Notice that work is, works is plural. It draws attention to the fact that nobody is doing all the works of the flesh or even struggle with all the works of the flesh at one time. But as we move to the fruit of the Spirit, we are immediately impressed by the fact that fruit is singular. There is one fruit of the Spirit. So that there are works of the flesh. We don't have all of the works of flesh. We don't struggle with all of the works of flesh at one time. But we do have all of the fruit of the Spirit at one time. I like to think about it like an apple. And an apple has many things about it. It has all kinds of ingredients. I'm sure there's uh, sugar, of course. There's a lot of water. Uh, there's fiber and, and other things. I wouldn't be surprised if we could break it all down that there's some high fructose corn syrup in those things somewhere along the line. Uh, since it's in everything else just about that's put out in the world. No, it's not. If it's a, a true healthy apple, it's not in there. But that one fruit has a lot of different ingredients. The fruit of the Spirit then has many different ingredients. The tree then produces fruit, and fruit affects every area of our life. Fruit is visible, first of all. Uh, it can be seen, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, secondly, a, a fruit reflects the character of the tree upon which it is found. An apple tree is an apple tree because it bears apple. If it bears peaches... Then it's not an apple tree anymore, it's now a peach tree. As you think about those two trees growing in an orchard, you look at them in the wintertime, 
unless you were the owner of the orchard or had some way of knowing, you might not be able to tell the difference between the apple trees and the peach trees. In the wintertime, no leaves, no fruit. They really look a whole lot alike in the orchard. If you go in in the spring when they begin to blossom and then they put on leaves, if you're familiar enough with the trees, you might be able to tell a difference just by the way that they bloom or, or the leaves. I guarantee you some of you could tell the difference. But ultimately, for most of us, it would be just when the fruit comes on. When it starts putting on the fruit, you know exactly what it is because the apple tree bears apples, the peach tree bears peaches, spiritual people produce the fruit of the Spirit. We notice also that fruit is consumable. Fruit is not produced for itself. It is intended primarily to be consumed. That is not to say that the fruit of the Spirit does not contain blessings for us because it does. That it doesn't have benefits for us. It does. Uh, as we have the Spirit of God in us, and the Spirit of God then is producing that spiritual fruit in us, the fruit of the Spirit, it contains the things that we need in order to live the life that God would have us to live and to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. God did not leave us uh, just to figure this out all on our own or to make our own way. We have the Spirit of God living in us, and He is producing the fruit of the Spirit. That means then that God has given us everything we need to be what he wants us to be to do what he wants us to do it is in the fruit of the spirit but still we say primarily fruit <laughs> the, the apple tree does not really benefit from the apples in fact you and I know that that apple tree in a dry year will just about grow itself to death trying to put on those apples I know it doesn't have to try. I understand it's just a tree. That's what it does. I've seen grapevines grow themselves to death trying to hold on to that precious fruit. It's intended, you see, to be consumed. It may not do all the benefit just for us. It, it, it is, it's a benefit to others. Other people will be blessed by you and I, the life that you and I live. Others around us will be strengthened. Others around us will be encouraged. Others around us may come to know Christ as Savior by the fruit of the Spirit in your life and mine. So what is it? What are the ingredients of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the text begins with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. This is not a natural love. A lost person could do that. But this is a selfless love, a God kind of love, a love that enables us to love those that we would have once seen as unlovable. It is not the kind of love that is defined by how it feels. Uh, we would talk about that kind of love most likely with the word like. I like these people. That is, I feel some kind of affinity to them. I like them. I enjoy being around them. I like them. Uh, but you know, God did not require us to like everybody, and that's a good thing. The American humorist Will Rogers was known for saying that he had never met a man that he didn't like. But I've met a lot of men Will Rogers never met. <laughs> and so have you. Some people it's easy for us to like, and some it's not so easy for us to like. None of them are members of this church. I, still, I like all of you folks, but uh, most days... <laughs> But uh, 
Well, hey, we, we try to always be honest up here. We just, we do. But we do love each other. We can love people that we may not like very well. Because love is not defined by how it feels. It's not about how I'm attracted to you. It's not about how I uh, am friends with you. Uh, but this is the kind of love that is a selfless love that seeks the good and benefit of others. It's defined for us in 1 Corinthians 13 where it tells us that love suffers long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. But rejoice in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never fails. Love, you see, is defined by how it behaves. How God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son. Not about just a feeling. I like you. Or, or chemistry. I want to be with you. No. This is a selfless kind of love. The kind of love that God has. Jesus said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay down his life for his friends. Love. Then the fruit of the Spirit also is joy. This is far beyond regular happiness. This is a love that transcends our circumstances. A supernatural joy that radiates from the inside out. It has been said that happiness is like a thermometer that registers its environment. Whereas joy is like a thermostat that regulates its environment. That's a very good way of understanding the difference. If you give me the right set of circumstances, I'll be a happy guy. And you will be too. But the joy of Jesus Christ transcends our circumstances. And goes then beyond that so that even in our circumstances, we can experience the joy of Jesus. And back in John 15, Jesus spoke of it again. These things I have spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy might be full. Love, joy, and peace. These are what I call the big three as far as the fruit of the Spirit is concerned. Because these are the things that we most want in life. Love, somebody to love, somebody to love us back. Uh, the feeling and the need for our companionship. Joy, uh, to feel happy but more than feel happy. To be able uh, to be happy and experience the joy of Jesus Christ in the midst even of difficult circumstances. But in the midst also of great circumstances. And then the peace. The peace that passes understanding. Uh, any good fisherman can tell you. That fish don't care if it rains. Now I say that because I'd say that about good fishermen because uh, there's a lot of casual fishermen that'll see a really bright bluebird sky day. That's what we call it, a bluebird. I mean, not a cloud in the sky. And they'll say, "Man, it's a great day to go fishing." Yeah, if you want to waste your time, you ain't gonna catch nothing today. Fish don't bite very well on those high pressure days. They. They kind of like it when it's rain and stormy. And fish don't know if it's raining. Uh, the barometric pressure changes. That's all right. All they have to do is go deeper. 
As Christians, I bring that up because as Christians, there's a part of us in our life that is unaffected by the storms. There's a deep abiding peace that rests in your soul. As Brother Bill is fond of saying, it comes first of all from knowing that the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody, which is to die and go to hell for all eternity, is never going to happen to you because Jesus Christ has saved your soul. There's a peace then that comes from knowing that, that no matter what happens in life, even the worst, if I die, hey, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have a deep-seated abiding place of peace in us that the Spirit of God produces in us. And you know, I've noticed over the years, both in my own life and in the lives of others, that the Holy Spirit has a strange way, not a strange way, just a wonderful way, I guess, of producing that peace just when we need it the most. Times when we're pushed almost to the edge of despair. Suddenly, with just a thought of Jesus, there's the peace of God. Just when we need it. There's love, joy, and peace. Then there's long-suffering or patience. And there are two aspects of this. First of all, there is the aspect of long-suffering or patience that keeps us going when we feel like quitting. Uh, I read this description of motherhood this week that I thought was good. He said, she said, I'm up each night until 10 p.m. vacuuming, dusting, wiping, washing, drying, loading, unfolding, folding, and hanging up. All day I'm shopping, cooking, driving, flushing, ironing, sweeping, picking up, changing seats, changing diapers. I'm getting tired just reading this. Bathing, helping with homework, paying bills, clipping coupons, putting to bed, dragging out of bed, brushing, chasing, buckling, and feeding. I go to basketball, baseball, football, soccer, school, and church. I ride bikes, push trucks, coddle dolls, slide slides, and roller skate. We walk, do crafts, jump rope, and work in the yard. I get up at 5.30 in the morning. I go all day with no time to eat, sleep, or drink, and sometimes even to go to the bathroom. And I get up then at the end of the week, and I've still gained five pounds. How does this happen? endurance we have a lot to go through we do and 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 you young families let me tell you you're just getting started good oh yeah you need endurance because there's a lot of times in this life that we're tempted to give up but endurance keeps you going the other side of it is the patience to wait I read about a little boy who was standing, sitting in the mall, standing there at the bottom of the escalator, just watching the escalator come around and coming around. And mall security noticed him, and he's kind of by himself. And he came back, he watched him for a while, and he was still there. So he goes up to him and asks him, he said, son, are you lost? And the little boy said, no, I dropped my bubble gum, and I'm just waiting on it to come back around. I tell you, you drop your bubble gum on the escalator, you might wait a long, long time. I want you to know this morning, I'm waiting on a whole lot more than bubble gum. Aren't you? For one thing, I'm waiting on Jesus to come. I've been waiting on Him my whole life. I have. 
People say, man, it's hard to wait on the Lord. No, it's not. If He tarries, we wait. I don't believe any less in the return of Jesus Christ today than I did when I was a little boy and first started learning about Him. I knew Jesus was coming back for me then. I know He's coming back now. I've been waiting for Jesus. We wait for a lot of other things. Maybe you've been sowing seed into somebody's life for a long, long time and you're waiting for a harvest. Maybe you've been sowing into that class or sowing into those people or sowing into those children and you're just not seeing anything happen. Sometimes we have to wait. Any farmer can tell you that there is all kinds of technology available, but there is absolutely nothing that can be done about the interval of time between planting time and harvest time. A lot of work to be done in between, but you can't speed up the harvest. It comes when it's time. Will you be faithful? Will we keep going while we're having to wait? Will we have endurance then when life is difficult, when the going gets hard and we're tired and we're stretched in a hundred different directions and we just don't feel like there's enough of us to go around? Will we keep going for God or will we quit? You need endurance. If you don't have endurance, I'm not a prophet of the son of the prophet, but I can absolutely tell you this morning that without endurance, there is one thing that's going to happen in your life. You will fail. Why? Because you'll quit. You'll quit without endurance. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit in us gives us that patience. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is he gives us endurance. He gives us the patience to wait. Though nobody likes waiting. And I don't like it probably more than just about anybody I know. How much do I dislike waiting? I won't even stand in line at a potluck. I will sit down, find somebody to talk to, and let the line clear out. And once it's empty, I'll go up there and eat. If I miss all the turnip greens, so be it. I didn't have to stand in line. Somebody said our forefathers used to get upset when they missed a stagecoach, when it had been a month before another one come back, and we get mad if we miss a panel and a revolving door. I'm one of those people. Waiting's hard for me. It's hard for us all. But the Holy Spirit gives us patience and endurance. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. This is more than politeness. It's just being nice, as my mama used to like to say. I don't know why she used to tell me all the time, no, Richard, be nice, be nice, be nice. Nancy can tell you, she's, now my wife has taken up that task, be nice. Goodness. That speaks simply of moral purity and uprightness of heart and life. Occasionally we speak of somebody as saying, you know, they're a good person. What's that mean? It means they're honest and reputable. Faithfulness is that quality of reliability. A person who can be depended on or counted on. Meekness 
refers to our strength, but strength under control. It was referred or used in the New Testament time to refer to a horse that had been gentled or tamed so that here was this wild beast and all of its strength that has been now domesticated so that its strength is under control. And the fact is that meekness takes our strength as believers in Christ and puts it under the control of the Holy Spirit. He is able to get us focused so that we can be on track with what He wants us to do. Meekness. Temperance is simply self-control so that once we would say yes, now we say no to the things we need to say no to. Once we were living a life that in many ways was out of control, but now it's under control. But that self-control then is actually spirit control because Jesus Christ lives in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit and He keeps us then moving where we should be. And then we have that incredible statement, against such there is no law. No governmental system in history has ever prohibited people from being loving, kind, good, gentle, self-controlled, people full of faith. This is not what law legislates against. But while that is true, there is no legal system anywhere in existence that can make you be this kind of person. And that's the whole point. Law didn't make them this way. And it certainly was not going to make them this way now. And the weakness of the law was not that God gave us something that was bad. The weakness of the law was the weakness of the flesh. And so he says in verse 24, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The flesh can't help us. It died with Jesus Christ. Whatever the flesh might have been capable of doing at one point, it is not anymore. The flesh does not enable us to live the life that God wants us to live. It's been nailed to the cross. If we pry ourselves off of it, we're going to make a mess. Outside the end of the work of the Spirit, people look for substitute. Instead of love, they choose sex. Where there's a love that causes us to deny ourselves, uh, that's all about self-fulfillment. Instead of joy, the joy of Jesus, we find ourselves in America today raising a generation of adrenaline junkies. Instead of peace, we become a people saying, I'm not happy and I deserve to be happy. Somebody needs to make me happy. and Somebody's messing up because they're not making me happy. Instead of patience, they preach tolerance. Instead of kindness, there's manipulation. Instead of goodness, there's image. Just how I can appear. For faithfulness, they offer obligations and rules. In place of meekness, there's manipulative control. And in place of self-control, there's self-indulgence. With the whole world full of people trying to avoid the consequences that can't be avoided listen we can choose to sin but we cannot choose the consequences of sin those are going to happen and yet we've got a culture that is immersing itself in the idea that they can somehow indulge everything do everything they want 
and expect there to be no consequences. And the only thing it's doing is filling up counseling offices all over this country in record numbers because people are miserable, they're tired, they're unhappy, and they don't know why they're unhappy. But you and I know what they need. They need love, joy, and peace. The three greatest things that we need are the three things that God wants to give us. Walking involves both feet, left and right. It's not surprising then that in our text we're told not only, the New Testament tells us rather that not only about walking in the Spirit, but it also involves walking in Christ. Verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. As you have received therefore Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked because in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, Paul said that he had gone all over the world testifying uh, to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you received Jesus Christ. You repented of your sins. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. That's how you received Christ. As you have therefore received Christ, how do you walk in Christ? Same way. It is a constant and ongoing process of repenting, of turning away from the flesh and turning away from the things of the flesh and turning to God. Because knowing that through Him and His power and Him alone will we have the ability to walk then in the Spirit. He concludes with the warning, let us not then become uh, conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I want you to know the flesh is sneaky. The flesh is sneaky. So here we are, we're walking in the Spirit. I mean, we fought that battle. Maybe we fought it for a long time, but bless God, we've won that victory. And we can look at that. Maybe you're one of those fortunate people and you say, well, I fought this. It just doesn't even bother me anymore. Sometimes that sin is that way. We get it past it, we get past it, and it just doesn't bother us. It's not a battle that we have to fight and keep on fighting and keep on fighting. But wherever that victory is won... We will always face a temptation to look at that person who's still in the battle and say, they need to get their act together. If we're not real careful, see, we get proud of what we've done. We get proud of the fact that we have made these accomplishments. We lose sight of the fact that while every failure I can take full credit for, every success is spiritual success. The successes are always the things that the Spirit of God is working in us and the blessings of God. So that when we fail, we can always say, God, I'm sorry I messed up. But when we succeed, we can always say, Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you, God, for changing my life, for blessing me. 
doesn't mean we don't have to work hard. And I've had people say that. Oh, but preacher, I've worked hard for what I've, I know you've worked hard. <laughs> life is about working hard. That's life under the curse. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 3 and see what God said to Adam. Yeah, by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your bread. Yeah, yeah you're going to work hard. Lost people work hard too. You understand what I'm saying? But in Christian life, we get a whole new dimension. Because we see this as the fruit of the Spirit in us. We give glory then to God for what He has done. The Old Testament prophet Micah put it best in a verse that we've got several places over this church. And we'll always have it up. I love it. Micah 6 eight. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy. And to what? Walk humbly. Walk humbly with your God. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But after all that's done, there's one more thing to watch out for. Don't get conceited. Don't make it all about yourself. Because when you do that, the flesh just comes right back. And you'll find yourself fighting those battles all over again. I want to remind you today that the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet you're still in the struggle. Doesn't mean that something is wrong. It means you're right where you ought to be. The struggle is real. You are going to fight it as long as you are in this body and in this world. Now, when you get a new body, then the battle goes away. When you get to go to heaven, the, the battle goes away. But until then, that battle is going to be there. Stay in the fight. You say, but you know, I have a, a couple of good days and then I blow it. Welcome to the club. When you blow it, what do you do? I got to learn how to stand. First thing, get back on your feet. Get solid again. I've made it about me, Lord. Help me to get it back on track so that it's about you. Get solid again. Spend that time in prayer. Repent. Call on the Lord. Get solid again. Get your feet under you. And start walking. I walk in the Spirit. I walk in Jesus Christ. I walk in the Spirit. I walk in Christ. When you do that, then you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Stay in the battle. The fruit of the Spirit is endurance. Stay at it. Don't quit. Don't give up. You've got a lot of miles ahead of you yet. Don't quit. The Bible tells us, Be thou faithful unto death. And I'll give unto thee the crown of life. Let's stand together, please.